Multiformity, noun. The quality of being made of many different elements, forms, kinds or individuals. Join me, Makiba Garraway, as I explore the what's, why's and how-to's of home education. Hello and welcome to a, another episode of the Multiformity Home Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Makiba Garraway, and uh, today we have a very, very exciting show for you. And um, We have a very special guest who I'll introduce shortly. Um, but first of all, I just wanted to say hi and uh, how are you doing? Because for the last few shows, I haven't um, had you know a bit of admin time at the start, so I thought I would just catch you up. Um, I hope you enjoyed the last show that we did with my mum and mother-in-law. Um, that was a really, really special um, episode for me, actually, and it was really, really nice to kind of talk to them outside of the um, childcare situation and just our usual hustle bustle of everyday life. And I think I would really strongly recommend it to everyone, really, to at least, you know, try and get a conversation with your parents on record because, you know, sometimes we can get... Um, you know caught up in the everyday and forget that our, our parents were people before we were around and it was really nice to kind of get that um, insight into their lives so and I learned new stuff about them so highly recommend that um, to anyone who wants to try something new. Um, home Ed is in the news a lot at the moment I don't know if any of you have been um, following the story but certainly in the uh, House of Lords there's a, a Lord called Lord Soley who is trying to push some legislation for kind of tighter regulation for home education and certainly in um, the email circles and Facebook groups that's been really uh, causing a lot of controversy so uh, do email me let me know how you feel about it oh the other thing I wanted to mention is that our new um, multiformity book club book has been announced and that is a home education notebook by Ross Mountney Ross is a really um, really prominent blogger and she has for years has been blogging about home ed her children are grown up now she still writes on her blog and um, this book came out last year and it's a really quite a, a straightforward and easy read, so I'd highly recommend it if you guys want to, um, you know, just kind of get a little bit of reassurance, really. She's a real veteran in the home ed world, and um, she writes very in a very calm and straightforward, you know, no-fuss manner, and it can be really reassuring on those days where you're feeling a bit wobbly. Um, is this the right thing? That kind of thing. So, yeah, Ross Mountney, A Home Education Notebook. Buy it, borrow it, and um, and just read along with us. That's for March and for April. Okay, so I'd like to introduce uh, today's guest, who is Eleanor Drager, and we met at um, a home ed uh, social group, and um, she, like me, has come from a background of medicine, and it was really, you know, I'd love to hear her story. I'm really looking forward to it, Eleanor, to hear about your journey, and uh, if we've got anything in common, and, you know, what's different, and also you can tell us about where you've ended up now, so really looking forward to this conversation. Um, Eleanor... Um, is also now is a, a sex education um, trainer and goes around schools and um, you know different organizations kind of promoting you know um, really well good sex and sexuality education which is so important and I think for any parent and especially home ed parents you know that there is um, it can be a bit of a tricky conversation you know because when you're home edding you don't necessarily have school to kind of take care of that for you so um really really looking forward to this and see if we can get some good tips and good advice um that can help all of us so welcome eleanor thank you so as you said i'm i'm a doctor so yeah um, i worked as a doctor for 16 years i'm a consultant in genital urinary medicine which is sexual health and hiv so i spent four years working as a consultant in yeah. sexual health and hiv um working full-time um 
my two children are at school, which is odd because we're doing a home education podcast. Yeah, yeah, explain. yeah, absolutely. Um, so a couple of years ago, um, my job became quite difficult. Sexual health is a challenging time in the UK at the moment. Mm. There are lots of cuts everywhere. And um, when people leave, they're not replaced. Mm. There's less money in the system. You're not able to provide patients with the kind of care that you want to. So I felt that I wasn't able to give patients the right quality of care. And at the same time, my previous relationship ended. Mm. Um, and so it was a very difficult period in my life. And in the end, I just resigned from my job and took some time out. And I spent, I had planned to spend a year out. In the end, it was 10 months because I got a job before the end of the year. Yeah. Um, but I spent some time with my children. Lovely. So, um, and also during that time, um, I met my current partner Jenny um, yeah. and Jenny's daughter Violet is home educated yes um, and that was the first time I'd ever really thought very much about home education if I'm really honest so mm. I was a very conventional person um, I went to a boarding school when I was younger yeah um, went to Oxford at, at the start of my medical training and then yeah. came to London it never occurred to me that my children would do anything else other than go to school yeah and since meeting Jenny my my attitude and opinion of home education has completely changed yes um and i can see now that it's a really lovely way to educate a child mm. um it is the case that my children are still at school and that's because the joint decision that me and my ex made was that they would go to school and that yeah that remains the same yeah um but i really enjoyed during my time out of work going to home education groups with violet and jenny meeting lots of people involved in the community yes and in fact brought um h and c with us to some of those home education yep. groups and they really enjoyed going yep and how old so, are they how old? so they're 10 and 8 yes and Violet is almost 6 so I really enjoyed um, bringing them along to the group meeting people that Violet's been playing with and getting to know um, they really enjoyed coming along and they ask about it all the time you are a blended family are the children all living together all of the week or are they going between different they go back and forth back so, and forth um, yeah H&C go and see their mum um six nights out of every 14 Violet goes to her other mum for four nights out of every 14 okay so we have a complicated fortnightly yes. timetable yes um, that's quite that Jenny and I have got our heads around but the kids if I'm honest they haven't yeah. really worked out exactly how the weeks go yes um, sure and then it changes in the holidays as well yeah in the school holidays but for a lot of the time that means that we're all together yeah as a blended family yeah yeah that's lovely and had um, Violet been home educated like her whole school career or yes, yes. yes. and so that was a decision that um, Jenny and her ex had made yes and yeah so they're still very much on board with that and and how do H&C I mean do they sometimes look at Violet and think well she's not going to school I mean how you yes know. they do so sometimes yeah. they say that they that they wish that they could be home educated yeah um in the beginning they didn't really understand what home education was either and so their impression was that Violet just you know watch tv all day or yeah you know, looked at her looked at her um tablet now you know two years in they've got a much better idea of that and they're yes. much more um much more aware of the things that she's been doing and something that i find really adorable is that they quite often try and teach her as well they're, they're trying to teach her to read and they're trying to help her with her maths and it's just a really lovely thing sometimes we'll all sit around we always sit down and have dinner together every night yeah and then we play a board game before bedtime yeah and um it's very lovely to see them trying trying and succeeding often yes yes lots of different things yes absolutely because um, it kind of gets rid of the idea that you know teachers the only one that can teach and you know they yes. can learn from other children absolutely well, exactly that and the other thing is that I hadn't realized before I met Jenny I hadn't realized how much teaching I do at home it's not yeah. that it hadn't occurred to me but I didn't really think about it so yeah I naturally 
am teaching the kids all the time. Yeah. Um, and I had never thought that of myself because I wasn't a teacher. That's been an interesting revelation for me. Yeah, yeah. So so you kind of explained um, in your work journey, your career break, um, yeah. that you then kind of got a job before the end of the year. So tell us about that and how that came about. Yeah. So when I um, took the time out, my intention was just... Um, well, really, I'd, I'd suffered from burnout as a doctor. And so my intention mm-hmm. was to get over my burnout and mm-hmm. um, rediscover what it was I enjoyed doing. And mm-hmm. so I, at the time that I left, I didn't know if I was going to go back to medicine or not. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I tried to just take some time to work out what bits of my previous job I'd enjoyed and what bits I hadn't enjoyed. Because although it was a, a difficult job and I, I struggled mm. at the end, mm. there were bits of it that I really liked. And mm. basically, I... I find sexual health quite interesting. Mm. Um, I really enjoy teaching. So when I look back on my medical career, I did a lot of teaching, especially over the last sort of eight years of my career. Yeah. Um, I taught other doctors, medical students, nurses, people from different specialties. Yeah. And I, I really loved doing that. And the other thing is that when I think about my the patients that I used to look after, mm. um, the ones that stay with me um, are vulnerable people, young people, mm. and really the quite significant minority of patients I saw who were only in the clinic because of poor sex education Mm. and it that was something that I started thinking about and then I just had a chance um conversation with one of my friends is a secondary school teacher and we went to a quiz night and she was saying so how's it going you know you've been off work now for three months what are you Mm. what are you doing with your life and I said well I've been quite interested in sex education she went really because one of my friends wants um she works for a charity and she'd really like someone to come and teach us about sex education wow and so i did i don't know about a sort of two months after that it took a while to sort of set it all up mm. um i went and taught it ended up being two teachers but i ended up mm. teaching two teachers about sex education and to do that obviously i had to look up a yeah. lot of theory about sex education so i spent several days just um you know doing a literature review reading everything I could mm. find, um, looking up the current regulations, which yeah. have just changed. I can talk about that in a minute. Yes, that would be great. Um, yeah. And um, went and did the teaching, and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, well, I wonder if this is something that I could do. Mm. So I also, around that time, went and arranged to go and give a teaching session for free to the teachers of my children's primary school. Mm. Um, and again, I, I used some of those resources. And then... I had said to Jenny that in in three months before the end of my career break that I was going to start looking for a job because I didn't want to end up yeah. not working. Yeah. And about two weeks before that time came, I had an email from the person that I taught the first time saying, there's a job at the Sex Education Forum, you should apply. Mm. And I looked it up and I just applied. And I was completely astonished when I got the job because it's the first time I'd done a job application for, you know, five years. Uh, it wasn't in a medical field. Yeah. It was out, sort of outside of my comfort zone. But it was, at the time, it seemed like the perfect job. So it's part-time, so I still get to spend time with my children. It's The Sex Education Forum is a charity who deliver training to teachers and other practitioners providing sex education. So that's what I do now. It was like it was made for you, it, kind it really of, really. Was. It was almost yeah. like they'd written the job for, for you. me. Um, yeah. I'm still trying to do um, some stuff as myself. Yeah. So I'm also working as an associate trainer for the Family Planning Association, delivering training for them. Great. Just on an ad hoc basis. And um, been writing some medical articles in, in journals as well. Um, Great. To keep up keep my hand in. Yeah. medical skills. Yeah. Um, although I'm not working clinically at the moment and I haven't 
since I left. And do you think you will? Last job. I actually don't know. It's a conversation I must have had a hundred times with yeah. Jenny and with my brother, yeah. with friends. Um, I find that, especially when I left my job in the first place, I found um, that everybody had an opinion as to what I should do. Yeah. Like everybody. Yeah. Either I shouldn't leave medicine ever. It's yeah. the worst decision in yeah. the world. And what could I possibly be thinking? Yeah. Um, and that I should definitely go back at all costs to any job. Yeah. Or why would you ever go back when it was so stressful for you mm-hmm. and you found it so difficult and you ended up leaving? Why, why would you do that? And then a, a variety in between. Mm. Um, initially, it was all doctors telling me to go back and not do- non-doctors telling me not to. But actually, over time, that sort of shifted because in the last six months, I've been contacted by three different doctors in my specialty saying, I want to get out. How do mm. I get out? Can you mm, help give me, me advice? Yeah. I'm also struggling. Yeah. I I don't like it. Um, So the question as to whether or not I do any clinical medicine is still, Mm. it's still sort of open-ended, but what I can say is that I'm loving what I do now. And although I think very fondly of some of the patients that I saw and that I used to look after, and I did enjoy a lot of aspects of my job, I haven't missed medicine. Yeah. And I've met some... (laughs) I know, I'm nodding because me too. plenty of doctors in the last year or so yeah who who've left medicine for varying amounts of time yeah and several of them describe you know that they they left medicine for whatever reason yeah have a career break and then they just really missed it and they wanted to go Mm. back and so they did and honestly speaking that hasn't happened yet Mm. um and i think that's probably because you have taken the elements of the things that you loved and you're still doing that yes and so you've left behind all the things that you didn't and Yeah. yeah that's that's great you know but well I think it is and so in my teaching I use a lot of clinical scenarios in my teaching yeah. now because I when I'm when I'm delivering a workshop or giving a presentation at a conference or, mm. or doing a teaching session to teachers I'm able to say to them you know when I worked in clinic yeah. this is the kind of thing I would say this is the kind of thing I would do yeah so I'm still using all of those skills the fact exactly. that I've gone into a sector I've gone into a different sector in the charity sector but I'm using the skills that I got from medicine yeah so yeah that's quite yeah that's lovely and there's there's quite yeah. a few parallels there with me actually I mean I only worked in I only worked for as half the length you did I worked for eight years um and I um had just finished I think I was and in that there was two maternities as well so it was you know um but I had just finished psychiatry and then this came along as a where I work now at university as a mental health advisor so again I took those elements of psychiatry that I really loved yeah and then you know was able to kind of have a, a more stable life and one that didn't have me stressed and crying and anxious and you know so that was yeah yeah, yeah it's which, lovely which is brilliant and you know all the children have benefited so much from me being around mm. so much and being and being able to you know go on school trips with them mm. um and in this like last summer in the summer holidays um H and C didn't have to go to any childcare at all, mm. and that has never happened to them since they were born. Did um, they notice that change? Were they kind of? They really did. They did really they? noticed the change. Yeah. Obviously, they um, they are they are much calmer than mm. they were before. Um, more settled. I mean, mm. obviously, divorce affects all children, so yeah. that, that was tricky for them. But I firmly believe that giving them the time that I've given them has made just an enormous difference to yeah. their lives. Yeah, so, yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, which, it, which has been really lovely. And when I said I was going back to work all three of the children were really worried mm. that I was going back to work and actually I think it, I think it's been, it's been mostly okay for them mm. because it, it it's three days a week one day a week I can work from home yeah I can still do all the school pickups that I was doing yeah um that's and, great you know, yeah I'm really, still around really great. so that that's been really lovely 
Great. So so let's move on to the kind of meaty topic of today, which is sex. And we don't. <laughs> it's something that, yeah. you know, every parent, you know, can kind of just think, oh, God, you know, how do I, where do I start? Like, what do I do? And, you know, I just think it's so, so important because, as you say, so many young people end up, you know, in situations that they didn't want to be in because they're just simply for lack of education. And it can leave even the most confident home educators feeling awkward and oh I don't know where to start and you know but I think the the important thing that I think regarding sex education is that we need to remove shame and we need to remove fear and we need to make sure that all children feel confident to you know talk about their own bodies and I mean obviously every parent is different and people will have um, you know some people might have religious beliefs all that kind of thing but how do you think is um the best way to kind of approach it from you know at home like where where does it start i've always said that it starts almost from zero the way that i have always approached any subject with children is that i answer any question they ask me mm. on any subject at all mm. um but in an age appropriate way my children were born via ivf yeah as an example yeah and so they have known about um sperm and eggs since they were really really tiny because that's the story of how they were made and how they came to be into the world and it wasn't too much for them to know what a sperm was and what an egg was that wasn't yeah that wasn't um it actually was it was quite a good concept as an example i remember when h was very small he would have been 3 maybe um driving him back from the nursery and he was still really only speaking in quite short sentences and he'd just begun to realize that he had two mums and in the nursery he went to everyone else had a mum and a dad mm-hmm. and not only that like it wasn't even any single mums or anything it was just mm-hmm. you know everyone else was a mum and a dad mm-hmm. and, and he had two mums and on the way back from school I just well from nursery I remember him saying want dad and I said oh you want to have a dad do you I said oh yeah have you noticed that some people have a dad and a mum and some people have two mums and he said yes and I said well some people have a mum and a dad and some people have two mums and some people have two dads he went want two dads in this <laughs> and I just remember thinking that conversation had happened so much earlier than I'd expected yes like years earlier than I'd expected yes so um, that week I went out and I, I got some books out of the library which were about a variety of different things and I just my approach to that subject and then to all the other subjects that followed was to have those books available for them mm-hmm. but and normally what I would do with a new book on a different subject is I would read it to them once but then just put it in the pile and then they would get it out sometimes yeah. or not other times Yeah. and I've done the same with books about sex so yeah. H is 10 now and he had sex education at school and it the school they're at is quite good and it mm. had they'd covered it really quite well um, but he still had some questions and mm. so I looked online and I found the right book that I felt that was the right book I read yeah. it first to make sure that it fitted in with what yeah. I basically believed was right yeah and um, gave it to him. I didn't read it aloud to him or anything. He's 10, he can read. Yeah. And what happened was that over the next few weeks he would read it and every sudden he would come downstairs and either show me a picture from it or ask me a question about it. Um, and those questions come at any time. Mm. So I think the other thing that a lot of people don't realise about sex and about everything else is that even if your child is going to school or you're a home educator and you've arranged for them to go to an extra teaching session or something, you've got a tutor in to teach them about yeah about sex or anything else yeah they're going to come back and they're going to ask you questions yes at dinner at breakfast yes as they would with any just, other thing yeah, just checking in with you else. like exactly absolutely that. and so i think if you're if you're not able to answer those questions then you i worry that 
children then think that it's something that it's to be ashamed of and Absolutely. something they shouldn't talk about and something they shouldn't ask about. Yeah, because silence speaks volumes, doesn't it? If you talk about everything else in your house and then yeah. you, this is just something we don't talk about, that sends a message as well. It's like, oh, no, this is a thing that's to be secret or ashamed of and we don't discuss that. And Yeah, and I, I, and I think that I, I worry about that. as Yeah. Um, and I also, the other thing is that people always talk about the talk. Yes. And I... Actually, I'm against the talk. Yeah. I don't think having a specific time when you sit down when they're 16 and say, right, now you're a, you're legally allowed to have sex. Yeah. Here's a condom. Yeah. yeah. This is what you do with it. I mean, it that it's is much too late it's for a start. It's much too late. Of course yeah. it is. Yeah. But also, there's a lot of evidence for lots of other things that if you keep things a secret from a child mm. and then tell them later, they then think, they then wonder what else has been kept secret mm. and what else you might have, they might see that you've been lying. They might think you've been lying to them. Yes. They might think that there's um, something else there that they didn't know about. And so for me, it should be something that is organic and just develops over time. And that's not to say that it's not a difficult thing to talk about, but that's where good books are fabulous. Yeah. Because you can give a child a book and they can learn yeah. themselves and then they can come back and ask you questions yeah and do you have kind of any what are your go-to kind of books that you really think are good um so at this stage the one yeah. that um now at the age of 10 yeah um there's um a two usborne books called yep. what's happening to me and there's one for girls and one for boys okay but the girls book has a bit about boys in it yeah and the boys book has a bit about girls in it and i would yeah. recommend that if you had a, that, that children read both of them yeah yeah actually because everyone should know what's happening to everybody else yeah yeah um, for younger children, there are some lovely books written by Babette Cole. Okay. Um, so she's um, she's written a couple of books called um, Mummy Laid an Egg, mm. um, which is a very comic with lots of pictures. Yeah. Um, where effectively in the story, the children teach the parents how babies are made, and that's oh, quite nice. Okay. There's another one called Where Willie Went. Okay. Which. Um, Actually, H and C got out of the library themselves. Mm. Um, they had a they had a nanny when they were younger. The nanny used to take them to the library every week and they'd get a new book out. And they picked it out because it had a funny picture on the front. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have been five and three, and so I read them the book, mm. and it um, told about the story of Willie the sperm mm. and where Willie the sperm went and what mm. he did. Mm. Um, and they were not fazed by this in any way. So there's yeah. some lovely picture books out there for younger children. Yeah, and then there are more. Um, you know more books. So Doctor Christian from um, oh, Embarrassing, Embarrassing Bodies. Bodies. He's written a book for boys and girls. Oh, okay. Um, which I haven't read, but I've heard really good reports. Okay, about it. So um, that's one to check out. So um, yeah, that's definitely one to one to have a look. You just having a book there that can just kind of boost your confidence, can't it? Because if it yeah. is something that you do feel awkward about, then just having that give it as you said, you know, give it a read through first so that you feel a bit more. Yeah confident and, and the other thing i would say as well is that as children get older so when they're teenagers there are a lot of people out there now um vloggers mm. um who are doing a lot of really good work in sex education now mm. they would really only be suitable for slightly older children say okay. 13 or above although obviously it's all about their developmental age some children would be able to look at them earlier some later yes and as a parent you should know your own child and how that's how well it. they'd cope with that but mm. some of the vloggers so Hannah Witten is one of them okay and a lot of the stuff she does is quite explicit so it would be for an, for an older teenager but mm. I certainly in my work with the sex education forum and with the family planning association um I I use Hannah Witten's vlogs and I say this is something you could use mm. in the classroom for mm. an older child and show them and it's another it's a tool that teachers use and that parents could also use which is that if you sit down together and you watch something 
And then you can turn to your child off and say, what did you think of that? Mm. And it might mean that some of the more difficult concepts are not having to be said by you. By you, yes. But they're out there and then you can yeah, talk, you about, can talk them. about them, which I think is a really powerful thing to do. Because um, I think, I think uh, what also is a risk is that uh, keeping it all strictly biological and just in terms of, oh, this happens there and the mechanics of it and sex and, and not thinking about actually the wider issues around you know sexuality and 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 just you know the fun part of sex that you know it's well, like I, I, it's I always really, left yeah. out yeah I, I really struggle with that so I yeah. remember when I went to talk to um the first primary school that I went to talk to mm. I said oh you know and I've been looking up the evidence of what children are told at school and, and you know I said and shockingly a large proportion of them weren't taught that sex is for pleasure and the teacher mm. just you know took a deep breath and she said well you can't you can't teach them that sex is for pleasure and I said, well, of course you can. I said, well, imagine if you don't. Yeah. Just, just imagine that you just tell you tell the children that sex is only for making a baby. Yeah. And then they discover when they're older that they that they're infertile for whatever reason, yeah. and then they think they can't ever have sex yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. Or um, a young girl has her first sexual experience and it hurts, mm-hmm. but she's never been told that sex is meant to be for fun. Yeah. And that it's meant to be pleasurable. So she thinks it's normal that sex hurts, and then she stays in a terrible relationship for yeah. for years, yeah. having painful, unfulfilling, unpleasant sex yeah. um, for whatever reason. But if she'd been taught beforehand that it's meant to be fun, then yeah. she might have been able to sort that out on day one. And I think what we forget is that you know we we want for our kids like them to like just be amazing and have these amazing lives. And 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 actually, when you think about it, I heard this on a this is my original thought. I heard this somewhere, and it really hit me. And it's like, oh yeah, actually that's true. Like for your kids to have an amazing, fulfilling life, that means you want them to have an amazing sex life. Yes. When they grow up. You know, you never think of that. Yeah, you don't. You don't. You know, you just say, oh god. You know, you don't want to think of your kids in that way, but if you, that's what you want for your kid to have an amazing life experience that involves them being happy sexually and comfortable yes. um, to express themselves and to say what they want and to you know um, so yeah that really that 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 got me I thought well, yeah actually then that kind of then puts a responsibility back on you in 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 to make you think yeah actually well I have to step up it doesn't matter how afraid I am I need to you know I think that's true and the other thing as well is that sex education well in fact now it's been rebranded as relationships and sex education okay um so the um up until now sex education wasn't mandatory in british schools and now it will be yeah from 20 september 2019 but it's going to be mandatory relationships education in primary school and relationships and sex education in secondary school yeah but i think it's a really positive move to add relationships in there because actually sex is about so much more yeah. than just just the physical act yeah. or whatever the act is yeah. that you choose to do or want yeah. to do yeah. um, the thing that you need to be teaching children is you know what what does a healthy relationship look like yeah. what does a healthy friendship look like yeah. what does an unhealthy relationship look like how do you how do you end a relationship without it being terrible and your world falling apart? Mm. You know, so the person that you start going out with when you're 14 is probably in not who most you're going to end cases, up with. Yeah. Not going to be the person you end up with Absolutely. when you're 30. Absolutely. Um, you know, we all know one couple, don't we, who've yes. who are still yeah. together. Yeah. But um, <laughs> the but so you want to be able to teach children to be able to do that all of those things in a respectful yeah. manner. Teaching about consent is something that can start from a really, really early age. Yes. So I have a real bugbear with people that say, you know, oh, just give on to you. Oh, God, we've just, talked about yeah. it on this podcast before. Like, yeah, just I give just on to Muriel a kiss. Like, no, it. no, it's Stop not OK. It. You know? and, it's, and it's so hard when you have those conversations like with your parents or your in-laws or your uncles and you say, no, it's OK, they don't have to kiss you. And then people can really get offended. And it's like, actually, it's their body. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I say to all, to all three of the children, would you like a hug? And if mm. they say no, that they don't. 
they don't have to hug me there's yeah. no um no pressure because it's their yeah. body yeah so but if you're not if you start teaching children when they're two that they don't have to kiss anyone they don't want to kiss and they mm-hmm. don't have to hug anyone they don't want to hug as they get older and you start to explain about sexual consent it's logical yes and it makes sense to them yes. and they know that it's their body and that no one touches it without them saying so exactly but if you've been basically making them touch people in ways they don't want to even just a, a, a peck on the cheek mm-hmm. you're giving them a message that it's not their body mm-hmm. and that they don't get to make the decisions mm-hmm. about it and that and pleasing think, someone else is more important than what they want for themselves yes mm. and then that makes it harder when they're older mm-hmm. to understand that they can just say no and I actually remember a conversation I had with someone at university when um, I was in my early 20s and I was obviously at medical school mm. and um, I was talking to someone and I was saying you know um, you know that I hadn't at that time I hadn't really been out with very many people I hadn't many people I hadn't had very much experience and yeah. this friend of mine said but you've slept with loads of people and I was like what I said no I, I really haven't I said, what do you mean <laughs> oh I saw you kissing that person and you know clearly you then went and had sex and I said well no well no I didn't and she <laughs> said well what did you do I said well I just said I didn't want to have sex yeah she was like what and I said well, wow so that was a new concept I said, I said just because I kiss somebody doesn't mean absolutely that, that anything else has to happen and she was completely staggered wow. that I was able to do that. Now, this is someone who's an intelligent person. Yeah. You know, yeah. now presumably uh, a successful doctor. Somewhere, yeah. And yet she hadn't understood the fundamental thing wow. that you can say no at any point. Yes. And you absolutely don't have to. And it was one of the times of my life where I realised that that actually, well, my mum particularly had taught me mm. that my body was mine mm. and that I I got I got to choose what I did with it mm. and who I had sex with and who I went out with and who yeah. I who I was with it was it was a really important it was a really important moment for me because up until then I'd thought that this person was a, a super confident and sort of sorted person mm. and and that and that she had more self-worth than I did and I thought well, actually on some level mm. I have more self-worth than she does mm. because I'm not going to let anyone do that to me if I don't want them to that's a really important point you raise because it kind of um, a, a large part especially when you're teenagers a large part of um, you know your understanding of sex or is is about what you think other people are doing and uh, yes. <laughs> and you're not you're not you're not because obviously you're not in the bedroom with anyone else so you think yeah. oh well they're doing that oh maybe I should do that because I bet they're doing that and you know so it's, again it's that kind of confidence that self-esteem to know that what you want is fine for what you want you know yes. don't worry about what everyone else is well, no, absolutely and in fact one of the things that I am really like using in my um, teaching is the data from the NatSal survey. So the yeah. NatSal survey is the National Survey of Attitudes and Lifestyles, which um, has been run every ten years um, yeah. since. Uh, and so that we've just they've just released the third one um, a few years ago, and there'll mm. be another one coming in a few years' time. And it has quite a lot of data in there. Some about sex education, some about the earliest days that people had sex. Some really interesting data mm. about how many people have had same-sex experiences. Mm. But in there is the is is the statistic that approximately a quarter of people have sex before the age of 16 mm. now you can look at that in two ways you can look at that as oh my goodness a quarter of people are having sex before the age of consent or you can look at it as 75 percent of people are not having sex before mm. they're 16 mm. now i bet most of us when we were younger thought that everybody else yeah. had sex <laughs> yeah. 16, like everyone yeah and we were we were you know yeah, the odd ones yeah, out exactly yeah. yeah um and so i use that data and i say actually you know in this in your classroom of of 30 children Mm. three quarters of them don't have sex before Mm. they're 16 Mm. and so a lot of it is bravado or pretense or just you know going along with what everyone else has said yeah 
and I think when it, there's been research certainly haven't there that um actually the better um educated children are and young people about sex the later they tend to leave their first sexual experience yeah, so yeah. sex education works yeah is the, is the short, there was a cochrane review of sex education and it showed exactly that people who've had sex education um they have their first sex later they're less likely to have um uh, their first relationship being with a big age gap. Okay. Um, yeah. They're more likely to use contraception when they first have sex. Yeah. And they're less likely to have an unintended teenage pregnancy. So, so I mean, that's as just, a parent, that's kind of what you want yeah, for your exactly kids, that. isn't it? Exactly you know? that. And so, and and that is comprehensive education that includes all the stuff about consent and sex being for pleasure and knowing the right names for your body parts. Yes. And yes, all of those things, and it works. And in fact, um, there's also been another study showing in in America, it's quite. Um, I don't know if trendy is the right word, mm. but there are an increasing number of programmes that teach abstinence-only <sighs> sex education. Yeah. And they don't work. And of course they don't. Of course they don't work, because, you know... It keeps it shrouded in mystery, and like yeah, nobody really yeah. knows what so, yeah. so people the, get taken advantage of, yeah. and, you know. And so the advice now is if you want to teach abstinence, you have to teach it as part of a comprehensive sex education programme. Mm. So clearly, abstinence is a very safe way yeah. of, of avoiding of, pregnancy, because yeah. pregnancy yeah. you won't get pregnant. Yeah. But it's unrealistic to expect that that on its own is ever going to work. And, yeah. and there's evidence to show that it doesn't. And creates also blurred lines around saying, well, that's not sex, so don't worry. You know, that's not, you won't get pregnant from this. You know, it, if yes. somebody doesn't want to, to do a certain thing. I think it leaves them open to to abuse. Uh, well, absolutely. And in fact, I mean, you know, talking very, um, very clinically, rates mm. of rectal chlamydia are rising mm. um, in young women because increasingly young women are having anal sex mm-hmm. instead of, vaginal sex mm-hmm. in a way to avoid pregnancy right and then they don't use condoms because they've only been taught that you need condoms to avoid a pregnancy right as opposed to needing it to avoid right transmission infection yeah, yeah. and bad education they're just not it's from exactly yeah. that it's because they've not been it's because you know the teachers were too embarrassed to talk about anal sex yeah and um the um the you know some schools still currently only teach that you know that they only teach about contraception in terms of a baby pregnancy. they don't teach yeah. about avoiding STIs you know so yeah. there are a lot of myths out there yeah. and a lot of things that people think they're not allowed to teach and not allowed to talk about so recently I had a teacher ask me at a conference is there a list of things that we're allowed to talk about <laughs> I said well you're allowed to talk about anything mm. you're allowed to talk about anything you just need to say it in a respectful and calm manner so that children understand yeah but there isn't a, there isn't a list anywhere there's yeah. no there is a list of things there's a list of knowledge that you want people to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way relationships and sex education works is not on the national curriculum. So it doesn't have a specific set of things. Yeah. But there's a lot of guidance out there and there's more guidance coming from yeah. the government. Oh, um, it's not ready yet, but there's more coming. Um, and so there are certain basic principles that you do want children to know. But as they get older, in terms of talking about what types of sex people have and all of those things, mm. there, there isn't a specific list. And in a way, there probably shouldn't be because things change all the time. And mm. You want to just talk to children about what's mm. happening in their lives mm. and what well that's really good that you've kind of you know put to bed that myth uh, about you know if you teach them they're just going to go out and have sex actually it's the opposite if you it's teach the them opposite. early yeah. they won't and they'll be more confident to leave it until they feel ready and yes. not be pressured into anything um the other thing that you kind of then touched on is you know the, the idea of government um guidance and things and and some people tend to think oh great okay well school will take care of it so that's one thing that actually no you do need to you know as a parent still have that you know um, open attitude because as you say questions will just pop up when you least expect it um but uh some people and i you know i've been on forums where people are really 
against like sex education at school because they feel like I don't know I, I'm not sure quite what their objection is but perhaps they just feel like it's too much information or you know a lot of people kind of take their kids out I mean how do you feel about that about kids being taken out of sex education so, classes it, it, so that worries me yeah. for a number of reasons um, the main reason it worries me is that when children do have sex education at school they then talk about that in the playground mm -hmm. on the way home from school mm -hmm. with their friends so if a child's been taken out of that lesson they're going to get the very worst kind of teaching right. which is that they're going yeah. to hear rumours in the playground from their friends yes. who've sort of taken in some of what's been said and, not all and they're not it. really sure yeah. and yeah. then they're sadly more likely to have parents who aren't also talking to them so then they haven't Yes. really got anywhere to turn to. I remember a patient that I saw mm. who was, um, year, this is more than 10 years ago, he came to see me and he was about 17 mm. and he really thought that he had some kind of urine infection and he wasn't sure what was going on with him because he'd been waking up every morning and his sheets were a bit wet and he mm. didn't know what was going on. Mm. And to cut a long story short, he was having wet dreams, yeah. but he didn't know what they were. Oh. So his school had no sex education because the parents in that area had successfully lobbied for it to be removed from the curriculum and that mm. was allowed then mm. um he was a muslim yeah. and he didn't feel that he could ask his parents mm. he didn't really feel he could ask his imam mm. and so he didn't have anyone to turn to so in fact the person who taught him was me mm. and i've always felt a bit sorry for him yes. that the person he got his sex education from was um you know a stranger yeah and uh, you know basically a random woman in her 30s yeah who was, teaching him and I mean to be fair he left the consultation very relieved yes and very happy that he didn't have to have any tests because he'd never so much as touched anyone so, yes you know yes. he didn't need any tests yeah. or any, <laughs> anything like that yeah. at all but I just thought that's that's he's been failed by everyone he's yes. been failed by his parents by the system mm. I mean you know because he he mm. hasn't been given the tools that he, he, that mm. he needed mm. um, and of course he'd lived through several weeks of really worrying that something was wrong with him as well so he, he was really really anxious yeah yeah um so yeah, so those people that have been, you know, that have been taken out of sex education, I worry about them for yeah for those reasons. And but in fact, when you talk to teachers from schools who do sex education really well, um, one of the things they do is engage the parents really early on. Mm. So um, tell them what they're doing, explain what's in the curriculum, um, say to any any parent who wants to withdraw, well, you know, why don't you come and have a chat with us first, and we'll tell you exactly what it is. And so. I've, I've heard of schools where they'll bring all the parents in that want to and show the parents the video they're going to show the children right? and show the parents the books they're going to show the children and show the parents the lesson plans. Yeah. And normally um, that's enough to take away the fear that people had Yeah. because they see that actually the video is fine yeah. and the books are fine and there's yeah. nothing particularly worrying in it. Yeah. Coming back to a point that you touched on earlier, again, I think this is so important. You, you said about... Um, you know, children knowing the names of their own body parts. Just having that confidence to say, you know, penis, vulva. And I'm super proud whenever I hear my two-year-old say, mummy, my vulva hurts. I'm like, yes, you know, yes, something exactly. I pat myself on the back. So I couldn't agree more. I think it's, I mean, obviously not only am I a doctor, I'm a sexual health doctor. So yeah. my children knew all the words for everything like, yeah. straight off. It was interesting when they went to nursery because mm. um, I'd been teaching them penis and vulva and, you know, yeah. and I had to then also teach them front bottom because at nursery that's how they referred to it right and I wanted them to be able to have the right language at nursery as well yes. as at home yes but that didn't sit well with me because mm. I didn't want them to say front bottom because there's no such thing yeah so what I, is that? Know, exactly yeah um so I did when I was going into sex education I put a, a poll up on my Facebook page mm. and I asked people to give me the names that either they used at home when they were younger yeah. when they were children or the names they were using now for their children for for the genitalia yeah 
And honestly, I came up with a list of, I think it was a hundred different words. Oh my gosh. Some of them, I genuinely didn't know if they were meant to be male or female. Oh. Because I, 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 because I'd not used those words, so yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and I've since then developed amassed an, um, a bigger list because I've been wow. doing this exercise in, with teachers and stuff as yeah. well. Yeah. But the problem with that, you can immediately see that mm-hmm. if children are using it, all using a different word from each other, that as they as they get older, then they don't have the right vocabulary. That's so, right. And the way that I try and say to people is, I want you to imagine that you need to either talk to a doctor or a social worker or a police officer about something that's happened to you. Yeah. You need the right language for that. Yeah. And uh, again, you know, I saw a couple of patients who um, were not able to give me the right language. And that led to delays in their treatment. It led to perhaps things being missed that yeah. that would otherwise have not been missed. Yeah. Um, and it's because they weren't taught and they weren't comfortable with the words. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, even when I did the Facebook poll that I told you about, loads of people commented. They thought it was really funny. They really enjoyed it. Yeah. And one mum came up to me in the playground. She said, "I couldn't put it on your Facebook wall, but this is the word I used." Mm. And then she mm. she gave me a word, mm. and she said, "I mean, but you know." my children say vulva and penis and it's just mortifying and I was like no that's amazing great it's really <laughs> great that they use the right word she said yeah. but they didn't get it from me they got it from school I was like that's yeah. brilliant <laughs> no carry on Absolutely. but she was too embarrassed to even write on Facebook yeah I had this conversation at a playgroup the other day and I was again that that came up and I just kind of mentioned that um you know my children say penis and vulva and the, the mum good friend of mine was just like oh god I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that and it's just amazing that people you know and it's not their fault I guess it's you know whichever upbringing they had and it was just never a a thing that was comfortable for them but I do feel like it's quite an empowering move for parents to actually try and get over that and and pass break that cycle of shame and embarrassment and fear and just use the right language with your children it's such a basic thing and also I mean the thing I think about that is that you know you teach your children head shoulders knees and toes yeah you tell them what their toe is you don't give the toe a different name no you don't say those are the flibbly things on the end of your feet. You yeah. know, you, you 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 tell them what the names are. Yeah. We should just be using normal words for everything. Yeah. And it should just be And it's all again what we were saying earlier about like the what's not spoken about. It's kind of again sends that message of all oh, that part of your body is somehow wrong or, or yeah. embarrassing or shameful or we can't talk about that, there's, you know. There's also a really good exercise you can do, um, which um I I encourage teachers to do in class where what you can do is get um, whoever it is that you're teaching, so mm. if it's your own children or if it's other children or, or teachers, get people to write down all the words they know for the male genitalia and the female genitalia and then put two pieces of paper down and put one one which says derogatory on the top mm. and one which says not derogatory and see how many of the male ones go into which side and how mm. many of the female ones go into which side mm. and then think about what that means in terms of sexism misogyny yeah um shame yeah um about your body parts yeah absolutely they're used um, as insults aren't they they're used as insults they're used um some of the words are about so a lot of the words for male genitalia are like weapons yeah um a lot of the words for female genitalia are quite derogatory Mm -hmm. um and it uh, that's quite a useful exercise for people to do because it makes them think differently about the words. Mm. Whereas the word penis doesn't have a connotation, no. doesn't have any other no. connotation. So you can you can use it in a much more neutral way. Yeah. And I think you know even for me doing that exercise the first time, I just thought, well, actually, that's that's really interesting. It made me yeah. see it in a different way. Even though I'm already an educator, I was yeah. like, that's really yeah. interesting, and it makes you see that the clinical words are. I wouldn't say they're better words because all, all words, all words a word. have a, words mm. are words, but mm. they they don't have the same connotation mm. attached to them, mm. Mm. and I think that's something really important for people to understand. 
So another uh, big thing that is really key for parents is online safety for children. And, and um, you know, obviously kids have tablets and, and phones in their hands from when they're very young. Um, again, actually the same friend was telling me that her nine-year-old, she had recently caught her looking at porn on the iPad. So, yeah, I don't know how she found it, but, you know, it's sometimes I, I remember actually my little brother when he was one of my brothers when he was I don't know five or six was at a play group and had decided to type in um uh, uh fun for boys or something like that he was just like it was you know just learning to use the computer and thought, well, let me and you know you can imagine what came up so it's really um really really important for for parents obviously to be aware of um kind of net internet safety uh, for, for the children is that something that you do work with do you Absolutely. So um, one of the courses that I teach on is a digital world course about um, online safety. And I think um, the Internet is a concern. All our children are going to see things on the Internet that we had just never imagined was possible. Yeah. When we were children, you know, the Internet didn't exist when I was a child. No, no. So if you wanted to see things like that, you had to go to a dodgy shop and buy something in a brown plastic bag, that brown paper bag that came from under the counter. Mm. And now it's just there at the click of a button. Yeah. So my advice about that is that every parent who gives their child access to anything that can access the internet, they mm. have to understand how to set up parental controls, yeah, how to make it safe, how to, um, and they have to know what their children are looking at, yeah, and know who they're talking to, yeah, because it's it's very easy for a, for a child to be contacted by someone they've never met yep. or um, end up in a situation where they're being groomed. Yeah, I'm dealing with, literally with one of my students that I'm seeing now has been through that very situation. Yeah, and yeah it's, it's very common. It's very yeah. common and it's relatively easily done and unfortunately it's more likely to happen with someone who's already vulnerable so mm-hmm. they're more likely to end up um, in that kind of situation. So I think really the key is to understand what the parental controls are and how to work them. Yeah. To try and it's again about communication so making sure that your children can talk to you yeah so if anything happens that they're worried about they can yeah they can come and talk to you and say you know i saw this thing online and it was a bit weird yeah um if you ask children who whether or not they've seen porn a a staggering number of them have already seen porn Mm. either even if they don't have any tablets at home or anything like that at all they might have seen it in the playground or especially once they're so the age of 11 is normally the time that school children get given yeah. a phone when they're going to secondary school yes um so if they haven't seen something at home yeah they might see something that one of their friends has shown them yes or you know around at a friend's house or you know yeah. another situation so it's about them being able to talk to you and knowing what's okay so children who have seen porn often they've seen it just by chance so they haven't been looking for it it's just popped up like mm. typing in mm. fun or yeah. something like that they've just they've found it yeah and actually, most of them are not turned on by it at all. Mm. They're just a bit curious. Or, like, what's that? Yeah, you know, that's a bit weird. What's that? What, mm. Why did you know? Why did that person do that? Mm. Um, and most of them don't really want to watch it again. They're not mm. interested in. But you know, then they just turn up. But but if you don't know that's happened, yeah, then you can't have that conversation with them about whether that's appropriate or not. And yeah, what's really and the other thing as well that I think is really important is. Um, people taking pictures of themselves and sending them to somebody else yeah something that um that a lot of people don't realize is that it's actually against the law for anyone to send a photo to anyone else under the age of 18 even if it's a photo of themselves oh so if a 15 year old girl takes a picture of her own boobs to send to her boyfriend she is committing a A criminal act yes Mm. because she's distributing an indecent photo of a minor Mm. and actually even up to the age of 18 so you're a minor until you're 18 so now 
the police don't want to prosecute every 15-year-old who sent a picture of their boobs to their boyfriend. Yeah. Obviously not. Yeah. But in the same way, they don't want to prosecute every 15-year-old who's had sex with their 15-year-old boyfriend or girlfriend. Because yeah. the law's not intended to prosecute, prosecute yeah. consenting teenagers yeah. doing yeah. things. However, if that person sends a photo because their their partner has said to them, oh, if you love me, you'd send me a photo. Mm-hmm. And then, that, then the person they've sent it to you then... Uh, uploads it to Facebook or puts it on Snapchat or sends it to everyone, you know, all of their friends. Yeah. That becomes a whole different level again. Yeah. And Um, it can literally create hell for young people, can't it? It it really can. And also it means that those, anyone who's been involved in that situation has committed a crime. Right, by looking and... By by distributing it. Distributing, yeah. By looking at it and by distributing it. And that, um, you can see how that could snowball really quickly Mm. and how that could be a... um, that could be horrible for all the people concerned mm. because he, you know even the person who sent it once to one of their friends doesn't really realise that that's then going to yeah. snowball and be sent yeah. to a hundred people. So all of that is things that we need to talk with the children about, and yes, you know. and in fact some other resources that are really useful to look at. So the NSPCC has got some good stuff on their website, okay, about things like that. Yeah, um, there are other websites that I can yeah. send to you to put in the notes. That would be great. Yeah, that, that would be people really can great. look at because I think it's really important to know. So this, so it's called sexting. You know, sending. Yeah things like that and the, the trouble is that it you know almost all phones have cameras on them now yeah it's incredibly tempting mm. for for young people you know they're they're hormonal they're very mm. overexcited mm. Mm. you know they want they want to they want to do something fun and different yeah, yeah. And, risky yeah and risky but those photos might be there forever yeah and i think that's the other thing about um online safety is that your digital footprint is very difficult to get rid of. Yes. It's really hard to erase, to delete yeah. things, to yeah. erase. Uh, I know that we have the new law about the right to be forgotten, but that's quite hard to enact, especially if you're 14 and you don't really yeah. Yeah. know how it works. Yeah. And also the connectivity of the internet is a really good thing for some people. So, you know, if you're a really shy 17-year-old who only likes playing with Lego mm. um, and doesn't really like football mm. and you know you might find your tribe on the internet yeah you might find the people that you really want to be friends with yeah so it can be a really fantastic thing for some people and a really really great way of yeah um connecting and making friends yeah absolutely yeah um but at the same time it can also be a, a very frightening and scary place and the other thing that i would say about um something that i personally believe about phones and devices and anything like that mm. is that um it's really important that uh, all children have time at home where they don't have access to them. Yeah. And one of the reasons for that is for things like bullying and stuff like that, that if you've got your phone in your bedroom Mm. and you are being bullied or Mm. someone's being mean to you Mm. on Facebook or, you know, whatever, you don't ever get a break from that. Yes. Yes. It's not something that you could just leave at school now. Yes, exactly. Because it can... And so, you know, if you... I mean, I know lots of people who've had a really hard time at school and often being at home was... Not necessarily, necessarily much more fun than at school, but at mm. least the bullies weren't there at yeah. home, and they could go to their bedroom and they could, yeah. they could feel safe. But if you've got your phone with you yeah. and, the, and the people are targeting you on Facebook, mm. you haven't got anywhere that you no. feel safe, and that's a really isolating, scary yeah. thing to happen. Yeah, and, and in these horrific cases, you hear of you know children killing themselves. You know, yeah. often when you dig deep, that's been happening, and they've just yes. had no safe place exactly and mm. I, I think and I think that's something so when I say you know not having access I think it's just really important that not not that you're taking their things away and saying no yeah. you can't have it it's just saying actually you know for sake of argument at dinner time none of us look at our phones yeah you know let's just 
I thought that was really nice when you mentioned earlier that you guys all play board games before they go to bed. We do. It's honestly, it's we've been doing that for I don't know a year and a half or something, nearly two years, and it's absolutely it's a lovely thing to do. And yeah. The rule is that the, the children choose the board game and they have to all agree. So if two of them say they want to play Monopoly Junior and one says no, we don't play that. But yeah. the one who says no then has to suggest another one. Yeah. And then eventually, I mean, it can how take, long can that go on oh, for? Yeah, well, so yes. <laughs> Yeah, it can go on for a good fifteen minutes, I'd say. When they, when you know, when one or two of them is feeling particularly bolshy yeah. or they don't want to, you know. Yeah. But in the end, they always agree. And what we've noticed is that when they're all tired, mm. they'll choose a game that's meant for three and four year olds. Okay. When yeah. they're all perky and awake, they'll choose Chinese checkers yeah. or yeah. something more complicated. Um, and then we all play. Yeah, so lovely. that's the that's the key. And. Yeah. it's been lovely watching them learn to negotiate better mm-hmm. learn to play the games better because you know when we first started they were all two years younger and yeah. particularly Violet found it very tricky in the beginning because yeah. we started doing it when she was n- not even four Yeah, and so so it's really kind of stretched her it really mm. really has and you know the um, and they used to bicker a bit as well because you know we're trying to create a blended family it was yes. you know they were tricky feelings yeah. for yeah. all the children in the beginning yeah. and I believe that one of the things that's made it work so well as it has is because we've all sat down every night and we've had dinner together and we've played a board game mm. and we've mm. spent some time just all being yeah. with each other yeah. I have yeah. to try really hard not to be competitive though because <laughs> my instinct is to really want to win and uh, I've, I do have to try sometimes very hard to, to make it possible for the children to win um, yes yes uh, so it's a learning experience for me as well as everybody else so yeah. that's a really um that's a really positive thing yeah and yeah. h and c play chess now as well Ooh, so great violet's not up for that yet um but they play chess and they've played chess with um jenny's dad mm. and with my dad and mm. that's just been absolutely lovely to see it's really good isn't it for their kind yeah. of strategic thinking uh, it, and it's brilliant for so many things and honestly yeah. all of these games they teach you math they teach you negotiation yeah i just think that in general um playing games is a very good way of teaching yeah but you're teaching in a different way yeah i wonder if you know bringing it back to our topic i wonder if there's any kind of good sex ed games or if you that's something perhaps an area that could be tapped into a little bit more so there are a couple that i found um yeah um some some are better than others i've seen a couple of really good sets of playing cards okay where what they've done is they've put um text messages on them or they've put um well, they've done it very cleverly they've mm. taken pictures as if it's a sexting picture mm. but they've used a doll okay so it's not yeah a picture of a teenager one. it's a yeah. it's a picture of a doll and the idea is to work out whether that picture is okay in a different context or okay in another context mm. and so you're doing it using playing cards mm. and i think those kinds of things are very good for um for children and then the other mm. one i've seen that i i think is one of the best ones i've seen is a set of dice um they don't have numbers on them mm-hmm. so each each uh, each one is the same and w- is and what they've got is they've got um anus vagina penis breast mm. and other you know six body parts on it and the idea is yeah. that you roll the dice yeah and then which, whatever you get on the two dice you yeah. talk about whether that's a risky thing to do whether that's a fun thing to do oh. whether you could get an infection from that whether yeah. Um, you know who would do that and because they, they've got the same on both dice you yeah. end up it's a very it's a brilliant game involving all sorts of diversity because mm. obviously you can end up with two penises mm. or mm. two sets of breasts or two sets of mm. and um, it comes with a lesson plans so that you can yeah if they if they don't come up with all the combinations you can yeah name them but it's a quite a fun thing to do in terms of everyone knows how to roll a dice everyone understands what that means yeah 
and it also gives you the element of surprise in that every lesson is going to be a little bit different. Mm. Mm. Is that for so, kind of like secondary yeah, age? That, that yeah, that would be more secondary age, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, obviously it would be it would be older. Although I I I did show it to some teachers in their secondary school, and um, I don't know, like three quarters of the teachers were like, "Oh, this is brilliant! I'd love to do this." Mm. One teacher said, "Oh, they'll just throw it at each other." I just, <laughs> <laughs> just, you know. Like, you know not and then someone else and then other people are like but it says anus on it i'm like yeah, yes yeah. you can definitely use that in a secondary school with a confident teacher yeah and i would also say that's the kind of thing that a confident parent could do with an older yeah with older children if, if you yeah. wanted to you know that would be a and of course a lot of these things you could make them yourself you wouldn't have to yeah buy yeah. the resource you could yeah, yeah. i think i think that's a, a big thing isn't it i think confidence is is such a key part of it because i think you know your kids know you and they can just pick up can't they even if you're not feeling confident i guess it's just about coming across as this doesn't phase me you know what you're yeah. saying yeah we can talk about this anytime and even if inside you're dying you know it's just just being confident and let, as you said earlier just letting them feel like they can talk to you at any time yeah and the other thing i would say is don't be afraid to say that you don't know yes and that's something that i learned as a doctor very early on mm. that it's better to say and I kind of use that equivalent because I did that for years. Mm. But it's better to say to a patient, I don't know, I'm going to go and find out the answer for you. Yeah. Than to try and... Fudge something. Fudge something. Yeah. Because the, the, the patient or your child, mm. they'll know that you're fudging yes, it. They absolutely. know absolutely that you don't really know and you're just making it up. Yeah. yeah. Or, you're, or you're trying to shut down the conversation because yeah. it's all a bit too much. Like for yeah. me, I, I'm not very good at long division. I am dreading my yeah. children learning <laughs> long division and me having to go and look it up again and work yeah. out how to do it and then, yeah. you know, help them. Um, so for me, yeah, say say you don't know. Yeah. Google, I mean, Jenny and I Google things all the time. Yeah. Not about sex, to be fair, because I do know about that. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but we do Google things. You know, when the children ask questions about, you know, who was king in 1647 or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know. know. <laughs> um, and then I'll Google it and look it up. Yeah. And then we all learn together. Yeah. And the same is absolutely true of sex yeah. and sex education and any of those concepts. Just just look it up with them make it into an exercise do a project on consent you know yes. it's yes and we're lucky to be living in this time aren't we where we have all this information completely you don't have to go to the, the dodgy 20 year old encyclopedia that's yeah. in the bottom of the bookcase that no one's really looked at for years and yeah. just try and find things out when i was younger i lived i lived abroad mm. for my early childhood mm. and at one point i lived in the middle east and we were taken to a library and this is a true story we're taken to a library and of course the first thing that any young child does when they go to a library is look up naughty words in the yeah, dictionary yeah. that's what you do <laughs> and so i looked up um well one of my friends looked up childbirth in the dictionary because they're mm. desperate to know how how i done and it's the most terrifying picture that's always stayed yes, with me I'm there sure. was the open legs of a woman and this yeah. big black circle in between yes. her legs yes yeah, and what i was hell? like what is that <laughs> and for years and years i just thought what why does it go black why do you have a big what why doesn't it look like it's meant and yeah, of course it's not realizing it's a, oh i had no idea I, and what it was, I thought it was the hair of the baby no, is what you're talking about <laughs> no it was this really really, actually really dark black circle <gasps> and i didn't realize until i was so much older like oh. in my 20s that the reason that picture had been so frightening is that it was like a void in between her legs right and it was censorship yeah so you weren't allowed to have that picture so i mean and obviously that was the closest at that age i came to anything like that at all because yes. of where i was living yes um so wow. yeah exactly um i mean to be fair a picture of the baby's head coming up would have been pretty terrifying yeah. at that age anyway so i'm not sure i'm not sure it, it was better. more terrifying but um <laughs> Yeah, and I'd never told anyone that I'd looked at it. Yeah, I never never spoke to a teacher. I knew that mm. somehow it wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah, and that's another thing that I I said earlier about mm. books is that 
I'm a really strong believer in books at school and at home that the books are just there Mm. so not so at, at schools for example you quite often find they've got lots of books about mm. lgbt families mm. um but they're in a box labeled lgbt history month oh right and yeah. they come out once a year yeah. and then you know they showcase them and then they put them away again yeah and what i'm always trying to say to schools is what you want is to have those books just on the shelf yeah so that anyone and the same should go for the sex education books and yeah. for books about any kind of tricky subject they should just be in there with all of the other books yeah so that you know where they are so if a ch- child comes and wants to find them you can pull them out yeah but that they're just discoverable and yeah. they're not a secret or under the librarian's desk or in a locked cupboard absolutely um i there's one more thing that i kind of want to um touch on and this is something particularly close to my heart you know with an autistic son and it's about sex education for um sen children so yeah is that something that you could kind of talk to us about a bit gosh so that's quite a hot topic yeah um this um this year um in my in my job and sex mm. education forum we joined with the council for disabled children we did a joint conference on um sex ed- relationships and sex education yeah for children with yeah special educational needs and disabilities yeah and it was uh, honestly it was the conference went so well yeah it's the best feedback i've ever seen for a conference really and i've organized a lot of conferences in my mm. life it, it went really well and there are some schools special schools out there that are doing fabulous work Mm. and some that are not Mm. um and that's often not for the want of trying yeah it's harder to find resources right um that are not mainstream in terms of advice there are resources out there that i can signpost us to absolutely um but the messages that came out of that conference loud and clear Mm. were that all children become sexual beings at some point yeah and that there's this um, research from MenCap um, that, you know, the vast majority of people with special educational needs mm. want to have a relationship at some point. Yeah. But vanishingly small number are actually in a relationship when yes. they're older. Yes. And they want to be. And there's definitely been a case in society mm. that it's not talked about. Absolutely. And it's felt that, you know, you're that somehow that part of your brain isn't ever going to develop and yeah. of course it does develop yeah. and people do want do want they want to have sex they yeah. want to have romantic yeah, yeah. Relationship. close relationships also with they want to have friendships so yeah. one person made a point that she had someone so if you've got physical disabilities as well some people that while you're in the special school um you're helped to make friends mm. and you know that lots of those things are nurtured and then when you get older and you leave the education system then you might end up in a position where you're not being helped in the same way. Mm. And so it can be difficult, you know, to physically leave your house, yes. to, to go out and meet new people. To And how then are you able to form a romantic relationship if you can't even yeah. Yeah, form get to that point? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but the other thing as well is to talk about that, um, is that some of the patients that have stuck with me are patients with learning disabilities particularly, who really didn't get any sex education at all mm. and then ended up in a very vulnerable position yes. sometimes being sexually assaulted or sexually yeah. abused or coerced yeah. in, in some way because they weren't given the language or the understanding or you know the emotional maturity yeah. to deal with those situations and yeah. so it's even more important yes. that you, uh, you approach sex education in a clear and practical and yeah. understandable manner. Some of the resources that are used in mainstream school might not be, mm. just they might not be understandable. Yeah. So it's not that they're not appropriate. Yeah. It's that they're just not set at the at the right level. And it, yeah. it goes back again to the fact that you answer any question in the way that the child can understand. Yes. 
And so, you know, you know your son better than anyone. Yeah. You would know how to explain a concept to him that was a maths concept or yeah. geography or something else. You would also then probably know how to explain a sexual concept to him yeah. as well. And it might be in different language or it might be in a different way or using a different resource. But it's even more important that he has that information. Yeah. And that he knows how to navigate the world. I know more about schools than I do, but um, mm. about the home ed community. But in mainstream schools, you've got a significant minority of children who do have special needs. And mm. sometimes they get excluded from mm. lessons about sex and relationships oh, really? because they're disruptive or... Right. Yeah. And it's felt that it's really important that they learn about maths, so everything's done for them to, to yeah. learn about maths. But actually, I would argue it's more important for them yeah. to learn about relationships and sex yeah. in some ways. And so it's really important that those people are not missed. And yeah. I know that in the home educated in the home ed community, there are a, a, yeah. you know a significant minority of children with special needs. Yeah, and I'd say, I'd say maybe children, probably a larger percentage because a lot of people I take their children is, yeah. out because their needs aren't being met. Yeah. Um, but my, my worry is, um, and I know, and this is an argument that people who are trying to kind of clamp down on home ed make, um, in that, you know, well, what, how do we know what they're being taught? And, and in a lot of areas, I think it doesn't doesn't really matter. But sex education, I feel, is one of those things that everyone should know. And it, and yeah. it kind of worries me that... Um, you know in in home ed while the freedom is great and you know I'm all for it it then you know if parents are taking their kids out for that specific reason like I you know I want to kind of censor what they're exposed to Um, again as you said just creating vulnerability and um, in the future kind of it it completely is you're you're taking someone who's already vulnerable by nature of having some special needs and you're making them even more vulnerable than they already were yeah and I, I, I think that's, um, I think that's very difficult and unfair on that child, mm. and unfair to not give them the tools that they need. You know, ending up in an unhealthy relationship is an awful thing for anyone. Absolutely. But if you've also got a learning difficulty mm. and you don't have the resources to get out, yes, then I, yes, that's yes. a real concern for my son in particular. Like you know with everything he's just like super duper literal which actually could be really good it can work really well you know because he will need to explain or have things explained you know very very clearly and again thinking ahead like for consent in his situation I would just want to make sure that he is super clear about you know stepwise consent oh is this okay yes is this okay no you know that kind of thing you know not just having that kind of blanket yes or no and then you know things get yeah. muddy later and he's particularly vulnerable as well if he didn't understand what the other person meant and you know that kind of thing well, yes and also it's um the other thing about um consent that's very yeah. difficult for anyone but particularly for someone who's autistic yeah is that a lot of it is about body language yes and interpreting what someone's face looks like yeah. and you know if they said yes two minutes ago th- mm. they might not mean yes now yeah um and that that's a very difficult thing to teach anyone it is. It is. i think um so some of the resources that I've seen out there um, talk about that a lot and they mm. have pictures and they show people's faces and mm. how they might look if they said one thing and meant something else. And, uh, okay. you know, um, and there's a lot of work that can be done with, with anyone. Yeah. Uh, I would argue that, yeah. you know, in terms of explaining particularly about consent, that actually you can't go wrong if you just say, do you want to have sex? Mm. Like in a really clear, mm. simple, you know, not mm. do you like what I'm doing? Is yeah. this fun? Just say, would you like to have sex? Yeah. Just really simply. And actually, if the other person fancies you, they're not ever going to be offended by that question. Yeah. They're yeah. not going to be cross with you. <laughs> yeah. They might say no. Yeah. But it's not a question that can 
I mean, yeah. I suppose if you just walked up to someone on the bus and said, Do you want yeah. to text? <laughs> so, yeah, context, context is everything. Context is important. <laughs> yeah. But if it's someone that you're, you know, you're in that situation with, I, I really think there's a lot to be said for just being very clear and pragmatic. Yeah, yeah. Great, thank you. Is there anything else that you kind of think is important that we haven't touched on that kind of comes out in your day-to-day work that, you know, particularly for home-educating parents, one thing that I would say is that mm. I also think that friendships are important. Mm. So we talk a lot about relationships in terms of romantic relationships, but not recognising the fact that friendships are as important in a, in a different way to people. Living in a family where there's one child who's home educated and, mm. and two who are not, mm. I'm not sure that schools are doing a fantastic job at promoting friendship okay. and making sure that, you know, all the time and making sure that children are not being left out. Friendships over the course of your life wax and wane don't they yeah. you know you're, you're close to one person at some time yeah. and not close to someone else yeah and i think it's something about explaining to children that that happens and that it's not the end of the world yeah and it's okay and that you'll get other friends yeah and that it's important to always be friends with people who are nice to you and yeah. kind yeah and it's important for you to be kind to them yeah and perhaps not staying friends with someone who's mean to you it's about respecting yourself. Mm. Also, it's about respecting other people, but yeah. respecting yourself first yeah. and foremost and feeling that you're worthy you're, of, you're of worthy a, a good of, friend. Yes, yeah. exactly that. And I yeah. do think that that's something that I just would really want every parent to be able to give to their child. Yeah. That they are, yeah, they're worthy of being a friend and yeah. having a friend and, yeah. and having a respectful friendship with somebody. And if you can teach them that when they're younger, they're more likely to go on to have a respectful relationship with someone yeah. because they've had that. Yeah. That practice yes yeah, exactly yeah, and yeah. the practice of a friendship you know perhaps not turning out in the way you expected yeah yeah and then you get another friend and it's all okay again yeah 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 fantastic i'd just like to um uh, read this quote actually we can probably end with this quote um this is from uh, um, an online article i found from psychology today and the title was uh, how to start providing sex education in your home uh, by someone called melanie davis I just thought it was really, um, it's covered kind of a lot of what we've talked about today and I just think it's a nice thing to end on. Um, So the quote goes, you can help your children become sexually healthy individuals to value and respect themselves and others by communicating honestly, consistently and intentionally about sexuality. I use the word intentionally because you've already been communicating about sexuality even if you haven't meant to. You have done it if you have selected your child's clothing and toys according to girl colours or boy colours, girls toys or boys toys, assumed you know your child's sexual orientation, created rules about nudity or privacy in your home, discouraged or encouraged your children's exploration of their own bodies, displayed or avoided displaying physical affection for your partner, responded to questions about sex comfortably or by changing the topic. And I think those are all things that we've yeah. all talked about, aren't they? So I thought that, you know, just something to, to think about. Um, all those things that we do every day that you might not even think about as being related to sex education and relationship education. Um, we are giving our children messages, whether spoken or unspoken. So hopefully this episode has kind of given you um, a few tools and a few ideas and a bit of confidence to get those conversations going. Um, I want to thank you very much, Eleanor, for coming in and um, and talking to us and, uh, yeah, just giving us a, a, an expert's insight. Where could people find you online? That's a, a thing I haven't asked. Oh, I'm on Twitter. Yeah. Um, at Els Drager. 
E L S D R A E G E R. Great. And you have a blog too, don't you? I do have a blog as well. Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. So we'll put those links as well in the show notes so people can kind of find out a little bit more about what Elena does. Well, something we haven't talked about is that she is a very keen knitter and keen crocheter. She's very skilled. <laughs> if you see her Instagram, um, she's got lots of fantastic uh, things that she's made there and blogs about them too. So do, do check her out. And this is a side effect of her um, making a positive decision about choosing what she wants with their life and now she has time to crochet and knit and and is just more balanced it's totally true yeah <laughs> wonderful thank you so much um remember you can get in contact with me at um multiformity he on instagram or twitter or you can email me at multiformity.life at gmail.com or do check out the website that is uh, life. All the uh, episodes are there and also on Apple Podcasts. So please do check them out, uh, share them, tell your friends. If there's anyone that you know of that is um, planning to home educate or thinking about home education, um, and particularly this episode, just share it with everyone because this is stuff that we all need. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, Els, and um, take care, everyone. I will see you soon. Bye.